0: I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out, up out of your houses. Clarence is gonna make you a super human being. Holy moly, apparently. My co-host, we made it to 25 episodes. Yes, if we live. the 25th anniversary. If we, we make will. it through this one. We will. We'll uh, make you, it say that, you haven't uh You haven't contended with our guest tonight previously. So. <laughs>
1: He's a killer. <laughs> Prepare. Actually, <laughs> killer you, have met, you have met
0: in the past. You did meet. Uh, you came. You saw. Well, we'll get to it. You saw okay. our band perform live once. Uh, oh, Gays in the Military. The first it, great it, in Chicago? Right? Yeah, that was the mm-hmm. first great Gays in the Military performance with me. Okay, okay. We'll oh, which Man. one was that? we'll, we'll get there. Anyway, okay. who? Are, okay, oh, I'm mm-hmm. Mike. This is okay. This is the Golden Shower Anniversary Episode 25 of Crackpot Cinema. Yes. Uh, my name is Mike McPadden. I wrote uh, Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies from Los Angeles.
2: Aaron Lee, uh, writer, producer of TV shows like Family Guy and Superstore. And, and before we get to the guest, Mike, can I quickly yeah. say for our listeners, a little peek behind the curtain, uh-huh. I always have terrible internet and I drop out of our recording oh, seven yeah. times a show. So I just want everyone to know when you hear me stop talking for 20 minutes, that's because... Well, uh, you can
0: have a little fun game at home doing over under bed. Will it be more or less than seven? Yes, exactly. I like bet each exactly. other cameo videos, which I received from Mr. Aaron Lee, and, and I'm very excited right. to share that once this episode goes up. I'm not even going to say who it is, but it was a thrill. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, I, yeah, you. I'm
2: I'm glad you enjoyed it. And we won't spoil it. We'll let that be no. a surprise.
0: Oh, but from Chicago. Who else is with us tonight?
1: Hi, I'm Chris Senko. I'm uh, Mike's old bandmate in Gaze in the Military. I played keyboards and backing vocals uh I was also the associate editor of as loud as possible magazine which had a, a brief and triumphant single issue run back
0: mm, in That's a classic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all, all things noise and experimental music for uh, a very long period of time. Who was on the cover of the one and only issue? Uh it was a Swiss performance artist named Rudolf Eber. All right. He yeah, a, that is he was super heavy. A, it's a, a he had a to his cool forehead and uh, had his arms pulled back far enough that it looked like he he was a paraplegic it was, a, it, was an, it was an intense cover yeah it, 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 definitely, it was a regular <laughs> penis a lot like to Quimby's, Milo. Quimby's did, did did great business with it we really appreciated that
0: no it's a very it was a really fine publication It was quite an achievement
1: yeah
0: issue really, two we've we worked gun. on issue
1: two for about eight years and before we finally decided that it's never going to happen so I'm working on some other things oh
0: I'm still pulling for it <laughs> so uh this is already this might be my favorite episode. And I'll tell oh you my what. God, I feel the same way. By the oh, way, I oh. enjoyed watching
2: our selections tonight more than oh. I think any other episode we've ever done.
1: I'm
0: so I'm not even
2: kidding. Okay. I'm so there.
1: relieved. Can I just say real quick? I've 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 been a, a fanatic of the fireside theater since I was uh, a preteen. Honestly, I, I think I got them when I was about 12, 13. And I gentlemen, never know.
0: Gentlemen, gentlemen, we are putting the horse's asses before the cart. <laughs> OK, let me set the table.
1: Uh, OK, okay. <laughs> OK,
0: please. Boy, this All is right. good. Uh, I was going to say, this is already maybe my favorite episode because I have done no research. I instructed Aaron Lee to do no research.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm going to say, Mr. Christopher Senko is one of my favorite people I've ever met, uh, in part for many reasons. Back at you. In part because, in the best, most affectionate, uh, affectionate sense of this term, he is a fascinating freak. And he Mm. freakishly obsesses over things that are fascinating Makes them more fascinating And in doing so makes himself more fascinating Now I have always been fascinated by the Fire Sign Theater The famous uh, late 60s, early 70s counterculture surrealist uh, comedy group That put out a number of classic albums and stage performances As well as some wacky movies that we're going to talk about tonight and tonight we're going to talk about Martian Space Party, a short And then Zachariah, their electric western And then J-Men Forever, which was a staple Which was a, re- a legit midnight movie, but also a staple on Night Flight Which is where I saw it And uh, now, Mr. Seiko, begin Okay <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, Start I'm, I'm, I'm so
1: thrilled to hear that you guys enjoyed the movies oh, I loved it, I loved all I three loved of them it. Yeah, loved all three. And I, um, because I, I think of the Firesign Theater as kind of music, uh, like comedy cilantro. Like there's some people who really <laughs> like it, and then there's yeah. people who just. Dis- eyes <laughs> yeah you know, I, I, and so i never know so i i came into this whole thing going like maybe none of them will like any of them that's fine it's yeah fine. but we would make it
0: work even if we
1: didn't yeah. like oh it. yeah 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 of course, of and course. and i will yeah. say
2: i had some trepidation now i was sure i was literally raised on Firesign theater my hippie oh. dad loved um i particularly remember you know how can you be in two places at once and don't crush that dwarf i mean I, literally as a seven or eight year old was listening to that but the and but and would revisit it from time to time but never went fully down the rabbit hole and mike the only time you and i have ever done a fireside theater related movie on here it was cracking up right the the, with written by procter bergen which was not good and so and so to see these works of them at their peak for I I I don't know. Well, you you will speak to that more to make that judgment. But okay. wow, it was yeah, it was really thrilling to me.
1: Oh, I'm I'm so happy. I'll I, I'll show you here. I have uh, a, a pages and pages of yeah. an outline on no, no, like, all like of these. Chris like emailed things.
0: me like or
1: like uh, messaged
0: me a couple of times.
1: I was it, like, this magazine has an fantastic. article that I wrote about the Fire Sign Theater. Uh, <laughs> I, I wrote I've 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 been working on this ted talk since 1988 so I'm, i apologize <laughs> if i go a little long here
0: well um, here's an interesting question i have for you chris so mm-hmm. you grew up your your parents as i understand it were not uh they weren't open to wild and experimental entertainment for you not, they not at, at all no, i mean it was definitely a uh
1: you know i i was into buying records since I, as far back as i can remember I, my one of my first memories at age six was begging my mom to order me kenny rogers greatest hits off of the tv you know and sure. and amazed to find out that you know when i heard uh she believes in me on on me tv radio the other night that i still knew all the words to that wow but, um what's the part where he breaks it down he's like god
0: i love her so is that what he yes, says it is it is there's god, that weird mumble so.
1: at the end yeah yeah there's a the whole thing where he comes home drunk and he's like hating yeah. himself and then she you know i don't
0: know she god says, i love her so One of my early bonding uh, Topics with Aaron was the Kenny Rogers phone sex scandal From like 1992 (laughs) do you remember that
2: you no, don't know I about really, that. Uh, wait, I
0: really he, uh, don't. He I don't had remember. an eight hundred number for oh. like chicks to call him to give him phone sex, and he would like give out cards with the eight hundred. <laughs> right. I thought you were going to
1: tell me he had an eight hundred number so he could give phone sex to other people.
0: Well, I think it was <laughs> like a Kenny give and Rogers take. and yeah. have him turn you on. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> How um, about there's the a there's a
1: certain st- I, I, this is not one I, I'll reveal this after the episode, but there's a certain very well known stand up comedian who is a phone sex aficionado who called uh, my wife's aunt uh, regularly to the point that he would request her. Yeah. It's Aaron Lee. You're Uh, talking. (laughs) I've got her on hold
2: right now. (laughs) Uh, how about, do you remember the Kenny Rogers scandal? I don't know if you'd call it the scandal. I just remember his Larry King interview where he got liposuction and didn't yeah. exercise afterwards and grew yes. breasts. And he, he went on Larry rushed. King to say, guys, wow. do the exercise. <laughs> do yeah. the
0: sit-ups. Yeah. You don't want to go through what I've gone through. It was on the cover of the Inquirer. They found, like, the worst, like, jugsiest, like, three-quarter Amazing. turn pictures of Kenny Rogers letting it all hang out.
2: Yeah, he, he always had You, you got to know when to hold him.
0: You oh, got to know when to hold him. Roasters,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah serving up their roasters. Wow. You so know, Chris, yeah, he always, so, he always Chris, had that shiny face. That oh years, man, you, know, you tell right? funny yeah.
0: stories about like smuggling Frank Zappa tapes into your house. Yeah,
1: I, 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 I read about that. Uh, I read that for uh, uh, Mike's um, Rock
0: Trauma reading series. Yes, way back we when, used but, to have a salon here in the Windy City. Yep. Uh, we'd read, uh, we tell, read stories about terrible uh, things we associate with particular rock songs or albums. But um,
1: yeah.
2: was Zappa your way into freak culture? Was, it was Zappa- one of them
1: for sure? And I heard about him through a video game magazine of all things called Joystick, which was a short run, sort of like just magazine for video game aficionados and he did a an interview with them where they talked about how parents were trying to ban video games and of course he being you know mr pmrc and everything was like i don't play video games but if parents hate them they're probably pretty cool uh, you can, you can I <laughs> like, like this guy you know <laughs> so it, it sort of dovetailed with um uh, one of my formative books which I have right here with me uh the original Rolling Stone record guide. all right wow um, yeah. this 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 was sort of to me I mean you guys talk about it all the time but as as Danny Peary's guide to the film fanatic sure. you guys like the Rolling Stone record guide the trouser press record guide like multiple editions Robert Christgau's record guides and stuff like that just devoured them. You know, like the, the 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 bindings are falling apart on them and things like that. So I found Zappa that way, and I I have a quote from there of place uh, the uh, the Fire Sign Theater. This is how they describe them, and to twelve-year-old me, it just set my mind on fire. It says, Peter Bergman, Philip Proctor, David Osman, and Philip Austin first appeared in 1967 as a mutant hybrid of James Joyce, Monty Hall, Douglas MacArthur, and Flash Gordon they were the first and remain the only comedy group whose primary medium was the stereo phonograph record itself thus their best albums stand up to literally hundreds of listenings multi-tracked multi-layered multi-dimensional one never truly gets to the bottom of them wow
0: yeah was like, fuck
1: that? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's was that... i need that so badly <laughs> who is that's the not... who is
0: the reviewer
1: on that Wow. I was afraid you were going to ask that. I don't know. It's it, oh. uh, I, I, I don't know. Well, who edited that thing? Like Dave Marsh? Or? Uh, yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, yeah. They usually have the uh, initials at the end of. That's all race. right. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Dave Marsh and someone, someone initial G.M. as well. So it's oh.
0: co-production. George market. Michael.
1: George Michael.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah. Uh,
0: so that was there, my there, question: there, there was, was combina- how did you find there, this there, crazy crap?
1: There was a combination of reading about you know pre-internet obviously and 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 all that there was you know you guys know too with with uh like old movies and stuff you'd read about these things right and go crazy for them and you would have no way of finding them and you would just stew about it for years maybe five years or more uh but in this case um i had uh, a used record store that my my dad was li- where my dad lived my dad lived in flint michigan uh just down the street from where roger and me took place he was employed at the same uh flint truck and bus plant where that whole movie happened um but he took me to a place called jelly beans, used book and record exchange. Uh, and Ugh. we were, you know, I would see him every other weekend, you know, my parents were divorced and we would go to jelly beans every weekend. And I would just scour the racks for, you know, I was, you know, all my, all my 12 year old friends were listening to like docking and stuff. And I was just like, Oh yes. Zappa, Pink Floyd. Great. You know, all this sort of yeah. classic rock phase, but always with an emphasis on heavy and weird. And I, I really i distinctly remember telling my dad at age like 11 or 12 that for the rest of my life i only want to listen to the loudest heaviest craziest music
0: <laughs> in
1: which he just we were sitting in the parking lot of a gas station and he just looked at me. all right <laughs> he was like wow. wait louder than kenny rogers <laughs> yes dad even yes, dad. fucking louder than that <laughs> yeah yeah pink floyd was about as loud as i knew of at the time so I, I i didn't i didn't have a lot of cards to put on the table and as i as as mike mentioned you know uh i I was raised in a pretty strict family so there was no black sabbath coming into the home there was no slayer there was nothing wow like and you weren't
2: doing any drugs no no drugs involved no No way way.
1: nope dead sober yeah yeah so uh you know jelly beans used book and record chains like everywhere had a a huge comedy lp section and you know to my amazement all these things that i'd heard about that were that just sounded mind shattering were all there for you know two three four dollars each and I, I don't remember which one I started with, but i I grabbed as many as I could over the course of a couple of years um, and just devoured them just play them constantly didn't have the slightest idea what most of it meant but you know something you guys always talk about too is like when you were kids that you you wanted what the grown-ups had you know like or wanted sort of grown- up yeah. experiences and I liked big heavy complex things I had you know a copy of Yes songs by Yes which you know is a triple LP live album with the big fold out and Roger Dean artwork and everything and so I like these sort of like huge opus type things where like you know the entire world could be in this piece of art so I just loved the fire sign theater. Cause you had these, oh, these sort of worlds in an LP and you know, the, the sort of old canard is, it takes you 10, ten t- listens to the LP before you even have a sense of like, what's what the plot is, you know, and then you can just spend the rest of your life digging out the jokes or, you know, what have you. What was your favorite back then? Which one of the fires? Uh, what did
2: you listen to the most? Then,
1: then, and now probably it was um, don't crush that dwarf. I mean, yeah. that, that's just a perfect, and that is story. the
0: mountaintop.
1: That's the mountaintop. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's it seems like it's kind of the pinnacle of where they were all sort of working in the same direction. Um, can I sort of jump into a couple things here? Hell yeah. Don't I ask. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, you guys have heard a lot of Firesign Theater, so you know they, they reference the Beatles a lot. And I, I think of them as kind of like a Beatles-like group in that they have such distinct personalities. And, you know, when right. one of them is taken away, like the magic disappears and stuff. So I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole in terms of, like their various backgrounds. And I found some really weird connections. So Peter Bergman is the founder his uh, his cousin was Al Bosberg, who was a gag writer for Buster Keaton, the Marx Brothers, Jack Benny, and Fred Allen. And his parents were ra- his, yeah. his parents were radio personalities who hosted a radio, daily radio program called Breakfast with the Bergmans in Cleveland when he grew up. Oh, man. So he, he comes Flash. from sort of comedy royalty. Yeah. Uh, he was suspended in high school for making an announcement over the PA that the Chinese communists had taken over the school. Seems very, <laughs> <laughs> <seems> very unbrained. <laughs> yep, yeah, very good start. Um <laughs> amazingly still in trouble when, for doing that today.
0: <laughs> now it's true, maybe, maybe more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, am- amazingly, while, while in high school, he produced a novelty single with his friends. Uh, they had a, a they they put it out as the four candidates, and it was called "Attention Convention." It's one of those those Dicky wow. Goodman style answer records. Oh, where it's, it's like, fantastic! Oh. It's awesome. and amazingly, it's on YouTube. It, it's we on post, YouTube. We yeah, it. that, amazingly, it's on YouTube, and it's, it's great. It's as funny as <laughs> as a Dickie Goodman record, you know. So it's like, what you, you, know? <laughs> so uh, it's hilarious. Hilarious. so it, it's incredibly it's hilarious, hilarious. It's yeah, it's yeah, louder than a dicky goodman <laughs> yeah so it's like you know like uh, you know some radical saying the liberty bell will ring and then it's like na, 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 you know some song or whatever and <laughs> yeah it, it it does exactly what it says on the tin um, Bergman traveled to uh, Mallorca the Middle East studied with Islamic scholars uh, he wrote with Spike Milligan He wrote for Peter Cook's magazine, Private Eye. He acted in the film Love is a Funny Thing with jean Paul Belmondo, uh, as well as producing, directing and starring in his own counterculture film called Flowers, which I wasn't able to dig up at all. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, is that a lost film? something like that. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it, I've it, read about that. Yeah. Like many things with one word. It's very hard to Google. Yeah. Right. Um, he wrote for a British TV show called not so much a program, more a way of life, which was a successor to that was the week that was. Wow. <laughs> so That's
0: he was a kind funny of title. He yeah. was, yeah, it's
1: a great title. He was known as kind of a worldly Bohemian Jewish artist from Europe who just came back to California, you know, after having sort of uh, traveled the world. And there's a, uh, um, so a really good uh, resource on the Firesign Theater, there's a book that, that the band Negative Land put out called Duke of Madness Motors. And it's got a, a, a pretty nice little history of the band. But what's really amazing about it is it has a, a DVD audio disc with 75 hours of audio of all of their radio shows. and every. Oh, wait, 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 the,
2: I'm sorry. The book is a history of Firesign Theater or of Negative Land? Of uh, Firesign Theater, yeah. Wow. And yep. Negative Land put it out? Yeah. I never... Of course, I, it's funny. I never made that connection. Of course, negative land must yeah. have been hugely influenced by them and just oh, doing yeah. fireside theater, and especially basically. these
1: radio shows. Because you know, uh, at the very beginning, they were doing. Uh, you know, when when Peter Bergman founded Radio Free Oz, he was doing five nights a week, four hours a night of radio Good for Lord. like a year and a half or something like that. And that's kind of the the origins of the group. But and it um, was all
0: bonkers stuff, like uh, well, fireside and,
1: theater. Yeah, so it was. Um, you know Bergman was the wizard you know of course and he had all kinds of people on though it was it was social it was religious spiritual comic musical uh he had Andy Warhol as a guest he had people come up from Timothy Leary's place down in Mexico he was the first person first radio station in LA to play Cat Stevens on the radio The first one to have Buffalo Springfield he had Hopi Indians on there and played Indian music um you know and this is all on the uh, the KPFK which was a, a Pacifica uh, all right that's
0: still uh, going yeah, isn't still- it
1: yeah still around yeah mm-hmm. He, he he he's credited with creating the first love in which was uh, an event that he organized and drew depending on who you ask somewhere between 8,000 and 40,000 participants i think it was like a multi-day thing or something like Damn. that um so
2: oh real quickly do you yeah. know was he also on when talking about la radio did, was he also were they also on krla is that right Maybe. Did I read yeah. that? But I think so. It just, I, I saw that somewhere and it just kind of blew my mind because that was the cheesy AM radio station. Mm. That's where mm-hmm. Huggy Boy started and oh. I just can't imagine him doing that crazy
0: shit Well, on didn't like, uh, uh, not the committee, but... Um the David Lander, why am I the credibility guy? They did yeah. stuff for KRLA, I think. I think no that kidding. was their home. Station. Okay, that yeah. makes
1: sense. So yeah, yeah so they, uh, you know, I think what what kind of happened was was you know they were doing three or four hours a night, five nights a week, and it was mostly serious and a little jokey. So he invites his friend Phil Proctor out from the east. Uh, Bergman and Proctor went to Yale together and and were friends. But what was really interesting Just was like there you go. That's right. The, the great reunion. Uh, so, um, oh no, it was Hustler magazine. Sorry.
2: There is a, there is a, but screw we a- took it to those Joycean levels
0: too, just like, uh,
1: Proctor and Bergman did. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, there's a screw anecdote coming later. So, so hang oh, good. Thank God. Um, so, it's
0: been too many episodes
1: without one, Mr. <laughs> Lee.
2: Yeah, it's true. You're right. So,
1: you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at like the, the bios of everyone and I'm amazed to find. So, Bergman, you know, did, did a, you know, an answer record, a cut in record. And then Proctor says, uh you know he he's credited on a a bob and ray best of because like they used a tape of one of their radio programs that he had recorded as a kid in like the 50s like he was he was taping things since he was a kid uh and he says um you know, when he was in, he, he was from Goshen, Indiana originally, but he lived he grew up in Manhattan. And he said, I I went up to this guy Valensis, who I think his name was, uh, I think his company was the Sound Effects Company. He had a floor on 48th and Broadway, something like that. I went up there, and there were all these 78s of sound effects, and I bought some. It was amazing. You could play them in everything. I bought a bunch of car crashes. I bought the sock and the punch and the guy falling down and the barroom brawl. And I used to make recordings with them in the background and do stuff. And I did comedy cutups, commercial parodies, basically. So I was into it as a very young Age. So here's, here's two people who, you know, from teenhood are, you know, in, in the fifties, no less are, you know, like are making answer records and doing recordings. Um, you know, he's, he's the one, if you know, Phil Proctor, I mean, he's got 306 credits on IMDb. He's just like the king of like voiceovers and cartoons. He's just got a it- rubbery voice.
2: And getting back and getting refamiliarized with them, you know, Mike and I always talk about how as we got turned into old men, we got interested in old time radio, and it's the yeah. most boring, lamest thing you can be into, and we are obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, and to be and to revisit them to there, it really seems like radio was the formative. I mean, they're yeah. just obsessed with that old time radio thing and de- oh, yeah. more so than television, even, yes. it seems like. Yeah, like, that's
0: their the- lodestone. See, yeah. I think, well, you mentioned that, Aaron. What is the quote you said about, like, who was talking about Michael McKean and that generation, Paul Schaefer?
2: No, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was Norm MacDonald talking right. about Michael McKean, Paul Schaefer, all those, yeah, that generation of showbiz obsessed guys who knew everything about, Old time showbiz, top to bottom, this encyclopedic knowledge, but they also hated it. <laughs> they also had an intense <laughs> resentment and hatred of it. Right. So they were obs- completely obsessed with it and obsessed with destroying it and ma- and dissecting and pointing out its every flaw. And you know, so and, yeah, and that. I
0: think you know, and I think that's what Aaron and I did with our zines. We were obsessed with that culture and hated it completely. <laughs> and I think that's what uh, gays in the military. And it's best was also doing. We completely obsessed with rock and, you know, nudity and right. throwing shit at the audience and uh, also hated it. So we and had movies. to destroy it. And movies.
1: Like yeah. how many songs were written about cruising and how many songs were written about the world's greatest sinner? I mean, Dr. We would just, Butcher, we, M.D. Yeah. We just sat and watched, cru- I think we watched Cruising together like seven times or something like that. It was a bonding experience. <laughs> it was
0: 69 times. It really
1: exactly. yeah. <laughs> Um. So again, Phil Austin raised in Fresno uh, attended Bowdoin College in Maine as a as a, on a swimming scholarship, uh, but once again, my friend Richard Schulenberg and I started out doing radio productions in his bedroom in Fresno downstairs in, as, as a teen because he had two turntables for some amazing reason. no human being in 1956 had two turntables, especially in their bedroom. He had very lenient and nice parents and we started making these stupid comedy records that we just put on tape and listened to for our own edification so phil austin once again is doing like radio programs and cut-ins right um he was a friend with someone named lee bernardi who used to direct Barney Miller and was kind of a a character actor, was married to one of the Lennon sisters. Uh, So out of that, they recorded a single called (laughs) Duckman, which um, was credited to the Buddies and is about as funny as you'd expect. It's uh, sort of a Batman parody, but with the Donald Duck voice, also on YouTube, amazingly.
0: I gotta and, say, were you guys obsessed with uh, sound effects records and making radio yes, shows? Yes, i completely was yes, yes, yes. I
1: would just listen yeah, to music. them. I didn't really make like the shows, but I would definitely oh, like take no, sound effect hours. records. I feel like that's, that sort of predates or sort of, uh, you know, predicts my sort of interest in sort of noise and avant garde music. I just listen to like thunderstorms or like the environments right. records or just people screaming in dungeons, <laughs> the
2: hollow yeah. records. Oh God! Yeah. But
0: I want to. So this is a story. I don't think I've ever told this story. Um, but, but, uh, so I guess it was probably 1985 Maybe there was a a radical Israelite named, uh Rabbi Meyer Kahani Who, uh Was like completely Like for completely destroying Palestine And wiping out, like You know, like a real extreme Right-wing Israel guy Like very violently anti-Arab And, uh, my house In Brooklyn our backyard abutted up against a synagogue, Young Israel of Avenue K. And Maya Kahani came to speak there once. So, like, me thinking this will be hilarious, I made, like, a tape that I then put my stereo speakers out on the roof. I was yelling through this, I, I, my, my Walkman headphones, I turned into a microphone. And I was like, children of Zion, run for your lives. And I was like, <laughs> pff, like playing machine guns and the helicopters from the wall. <laughs> and I was like, your time has come. Zion is over. And, wow. uh, and I realized now, like, that was a felony and that was terrible, but... Uh, It was pretty fucking hilarious at the time, yeah, so. And nothing happened. I don't think they could actually, because the the street was mobbed. There were thousands of people. There was news reporters and everything. And I was all excited, like, waiting for the cops. I was, like, going to hide and everything.
1: This is your media moment. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, un-
1: unrelated but but similar. I remember uh, a Gays in the military performance outdoors at the University of Chicago, and I, there was a car of uh, Lyndon LaRouche people like announcing oh, yeah. through yeah. announcing through like a loudspeaker, and they, yeah. it was it was it was like one of those kind of like college like fun fair things, and I remember them That's just right. saying like, "Go on, enjoy your fun fair." You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember who opened for Gays in the Military at that event?
1: Uh, was it Neil Hamburger? Neil Hamburger opened oh. for Gays in the Military.
0: I think yes. we opened for him. I think he was on later. Oh no no. Oh, he yeah. was on before okay. us. Okay. We, we batted clean I walked into his room full of hairspray before him. Uh, nominal. <laughs> yeah. Which and it was, was great treat.
1: because it was, it was, you know, all ages. So there was a bunch of like seven year olds while he's telling stories like, uh, you know, what's the difference between Harriet Tubman and the red hot chili peppers. <laughs> Harriet Tubman was a heroine to the slaves. Whereas the chili peppers were <laughs> slaves to heroin. <laughs> People were that saying the- like, Neil, there's children present. He goes, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, Phil Austin, classical music announcer at KPFK, became the producer on Radio Free Oz. And so one of the – oh, and I also wanted to mention here, is, here's the Screw story. He wrote an erotic short story called Arnell Wong that was published in Screw Magazine in the 70s. He says, I remember getting a really sweet letter from them saying that they really had big arguments about it because it was way too artistic for their tastes, but they published it. Yeah, in
0: nothing it. erotic has ever actually been published in
1: Screw Magazine. I want to correct that description. If you have the best of Screw, like the, the book publication, apparently. it's in- Oh, I did have that and I lost it. Okay. Oh well. So uh, you know, going around the horn, David Ossman, uh He's he's the oldest member by a couple of years. He had a degree in dramatic literature from Columbia. Became an FM broadcaster way back in 1959 at age 23. And he was one of the first documenters of the Beat Movement. So he interviewed Allen Ginsberg, Kenneth Rexroth, Leroy Jones, Robert Creeley, Ed Dorn, Denise Levertov, among 50 others. And he had a radio show about the Beats called "The Sullen Art," which I just I love. I love That's that. Awesome. Yeah. So he's the one with the Stentorian radio voice. He really has that great sort of like golden age of radio baritone. Oh, and I have to mention, you guys were talking about um, golden age of radio. I have one anecdote uh, sort of from my own life. My wife has been, uh, uh, Wendy's been researching. Tell us who your
0: wife is because she's awesome. My wife is Wendy McClure,
1: the author of The Wilder Life and I'm Not the New Me and a, a contributor to Teen Movie Hell. She wrote That's the right. section she on. fantastic. Um, fast Times at Ridgemont High, the abortion scene, um, but her great great uncle uh, was a man named House Jameson, who was a character actor and a radio voice and a stage person. He's, uh, if you remember the, um, what is it called? The um, Henry Aldrich, the uh, the Aldrich family. If you know yeah. that, that radio show, he's 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 Father Aldrich. Which wow. is what. Orgy Tire Biter is a parody of, right? Yeah. Mother. Yeah. Yeah. Mother. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, the story I love from that is he was doing, uh, House was doing two jobs at the same time. He was the voice on, you know, the radio program, he was doing a live show, but he was also playing Alexander Hamilton in a a live Broadway production about the life of Alexander Alexander Hamilton. What a ripoff. These things were happening simultaneously to the point where they were happening the same night. So what he had to do for like a month of his run uh, was the Eldridge family was taping after Hamilton was done. So he would take his bow, stay in costume, and would run out the back door, (laughs) jump into an ambulance because that was the only way they could get him there fast enough. And they would blaze across uh you know manhattan to wherever the radio show was being taped and they would to record up. it like one in the morning yeah it was it was before a live audience so to to the confusion wow. of the audience you know the the aldrich family would be talking and father aldrich would be dressed in like a white wig and you know <laughs> uh colonial garb and then he'd start rapping and then he'd start <laughs> rapping and say you owe me some money yeah um so, um, so these guys were fucking hipsters.
2: All four of them. all of I them. Mean, they, they, they've been they doing, wish- it
1: and they were steeped in it for so long.
2: Yeah, that yeah. that makes so much sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, so sort
1: sense. of beat poetry. Um, Osman was the voice of um, Warner Brothers promotion. So, like, anytime there would be like a radio promotion saying the new single by the Grateful Dead or the new single by Don Ho, there were these forty fives that had wow, that's cool. all of his drop ins. Um, he also wrote. Uh, the liner notes to the best of Bill Cosby. Oh, wow. Uh, just because it was Warner Brothers and he was on, the, they were like, all right, it's is your job now. Um, and he so tried to warn that people in those liner notes. <laughs> he, he tried to warn people in those liner notes. I've yeah. read them. If you read yeah. every fourth word, yeah, it's, it it's, yeah, exactly. yeah. Don't drink anything this yeah. man gives you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in in the 80s um you know when the when the band became or the group became non non-financially viable uh osman moved out east and joined the the uh npr affiliate in washington dc and produced the 50th anniversary performance of war of the world starring jason robard steve allen oh, i remember that phil proctor terry gross yeah and apparently yeah. um steve allen uh steve allen's character dies at the hands of the martians or something
0: i don't remember listening to it okay. but I remember, yeah People who have heard but it said that I remember it's happen. very
1: upsetting to hear Steve Allen die on the air like that. <laughs> 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 okay, so anyway, uh, you know uh, influences we mentioned: Golden Age of Radio, um, The Goon Show was huge, uh, which was also a
0: aspect. radio show, wasn't it? Another
1: radio show, yeah. yeah. It was Spike Milligan and yeah. Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe. Um yeah. You know, very surreal, very, you know, it's Monty Python was obviously hugely influenced by it. But right. it's, but unlike Monty Python, it's those long form half hour stories. There were stories from history and right. there were stories of, Detectives, and I mean you can see you can see it right there. And then of course Bob and Ray and the Beatles. There's right. lots yeah, and lots now, of Beatles let, references. Let me
2: ask you about the Beatles because when I was a kid, when, when you talked about hearing these when you were younger, you didn't understand any reference. As yes. a kid, the one ref the references I always did get were the Beatles references. Same here. And I would sure. husband,
1: And and the Beatles were fans, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I would imagine. I think they, they were, were yeah. it was kind of a mutual appreciation society. So yeah. Osman says You know, when we went into the studio, we had as many tracks as the Beatles at every point. When they had four tracks, we had four. When they had two, we went, we had two. So certainly on the first down, we explored the technology as it was available at that time to the greatest extent possible. And, you know, you get the sense that they were listening to Sergeant Pepper and, you know, they were impressed with like the sort of unification of all these ideas and also this sort of accelerated, you know, production techniques. And, you know, Proctor talks about like, Going into the room with like the spring reverb and hitting it with his fist to make simulated thunder and and you know all these, you know these effects like that you know uh, he says you know they would layer these these things in and you know everyone would have to sit at the mixing desk together and it would say you know you're going to take this character and at a certain line you're going to walk him over to stage right to the right speaker and then you're going to bring the train into the background it'll come quietly and then it'll move left to right but it'll stop in the middle for a little while and you know he said that's the way they, they do movies today but in you know 1969 like that was fairly unheard of you know for you know especially right. for a, a random ass comedy group who a you comedy know, album that, yeah. That, yeah um
0: or oh, a radio show, yeah.
1: He noted that, uh, Osman noted that um, because they didn't have songwriting credits, they they bumped up their their royalties to the level of Frank Sinatra, which still wasn't much because they didn't have individual songwriting credits, but they also got unlimited studio time. That was like part of the deal. Wow. And so, they would they said that they would just, you know, work until five in the morning, you know, and they would write they would record for three days and oh, this isn't working, and they'd go back and write and then they'd go book five more days a time and they'd just bang it out and they'd cut and recut these sequences, you know, and it does it, it is kind of like a movie. Like they would just cut a little sequence at a time and then they'd stitch them all together and it's incredible.
2: What Chris, what year did their first album come out?
1: Uh January sixty eight, I think. I just looked that up. And I think they had been okay. working on it for They'd been doing live shows around town for about a, a year before that and uh, yeah originally when the record comp- company came they wanted it to, to be a love-in record because you know love-in was so popular and and, <laughs> and Bergman was like no no it's a fireside theater and they're like what's that and he's, it's this thing I'm working on you know um, and then uh, oh the other interesting thing about that is their their manager on the first album was Jimmy Gersio, who managed the Buckinghams and Chicago and wow. Was a was a rock was a, a rock manager, and they were saying without him sort of you know pushing for them like he, there was no they were gonna get a second album you know the first one wasn't that popular and you know apart from you know the occasional hippie and stuff but like they really he really pushed them you know the idea of them as this sort of like comedy you know rock, rock and comedy kind of thing you know they right. they opened you know for um, Taj Mahal they opened you know they did announcements for like Buffalo Springfield and Jefferson Airplane and. Kind of
2: hearing hearing that buckingham's connection i always remember you remember the old forced exposure magazines speaking of, of oh, yeah. all these magazines and stuff yeah, yeah. there was a great um the, remember remember the folk guy eugene chadbourne mm-hmm. he, yeah, yeah he he published a great uh he published a great teenage diary in there from when he was like 14 years old and I remember he went and saw in the diary he talked about going to see the Buckinghams play live in his hometown some outdoor show when they had the big hit kind of a drag right? so so the Buckingham's the number one song of the country, kind of a drag. They come out, they just start doing noise, freak out, feedback, <laughs> shit, and people and people are screaming and yelling. Kind of a drag, kind of a drag. And every time someone would yell it, the lead singer would lean in the mic and go, "That song's kind of a drag," and then they would go back to freak out noise shit.
0: And they did that wow. for an hour. And so. an embryonic Christopher Sink was there, I, just I, I was, I was I was hovering all. over it and, and smiling beautifully. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. the ether. So speaking
1: of 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 folk and so forth, um another weird piece of trivia that I found was that the first appearance of the group isn't on a Firesign record, but it's on a record by folk duel Chad and Jeremy. Wow. They're pre their pre Sgt. Pepper psychedelic opus of cabbages and kings which came out like a couple oh, months yeah ago. yeah,
0: I, yeah. Uh, wow I, so I've side two is a, a sidelong yeah.
1: suite called the progress suite and it's and it's you know it's about as ponderous as you would imagine it's got a lot of you know Indian right. music influence and and lots of sort right. of you know um serious singing but in in track four uh which is called fall like like the fall of Empire or whatever yeah, yeah. is uh seven minutes of the group sort of improvising just various stuff that you know they're sort of improvising on like news events or they're doing like the voices of like different world leaders you know and there's one british guy going well don't forget we have the beatles and the queen and you know the french guy is saying ah thank heavens little girls you know and the the (laughs) russian guy is saying you know we want peace of world you know and things like that i don't know it's 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 not hilarious but like a lot of the voices you know from those first four fire sign i had no idea. idea I didn't know it. A,
0: that was a record I listened to around the time of like the the Bee Gees. It was uh, what like right when I was in um, Gays in the military stuff. I listened to the yeah. Sagittarius record. My world fell down. Yep. Um, the Bee Gees Odessa album, hmm. the Tokens. I can't think of them, that psychedelic album. Brian Collins, and
1: then, I feel like yeah. was sort of like the the the
0: We want to say Sir Sir Lord Brian Sir Puber. Lord
1: Brian Puberty. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. He, we want to he, make sure that he his definitely name. made sure that that all those BG's records were in my hands. Those early ones, like yeah. that. So I have one more. So uh, speaking of Chad and Jeremy Proctor was was roommates with Jeremy Clyde, and and this story just blew my mind. So uh, Jeremy and and Phil Proctor. So I want to
0: say Chad and Jeremy were uh, you know breeze swimming in the summer breeze. Mm-hmm. Oh they Yeah. Were, yeah. Were they also,
1: please lock me
2: away?
0: Please. No, that's Peter and Gordon.
1: Damn it. Okay, Chad and Jeremy. That's Peter Asher. Yes. Love it. Okay, good. So yeah, so so Jeremy Clyde and Phil Proctor lived together, and it was uh, on four acres in Encino. It was owned by a radiologist named Dr. Adolf. Uh, <laughs> this, the this mansion had an ape cage. It had an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It had a bomb shelter. It had an orchard beyond the bomb shelter. It had a tiki bar and running water fountain that ran from the top of the house all the way down to the bottom entrance, right to the foot of the
0: ape cage. And it had gas yeah. jets so that flames could shoot out. So Proctor, I, I the, think this was some fanciful fancifying <laughs> yeah i don't and know. It, and, and it, well the, the most fanciful
1: part is it cost five hundred dollars a month to rent it wow it was a pretty penny back then good yeah, lord it was not nothing for sure but yeah. uh yeah apparently Dr. great do and his his wife lived elsewhere and 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 let wow let these oh dudes, but it was jeremy from
0: chad and jeremy yeah. he had he had 500 five yeah. bucks a month yeah, yeah five hundred sorry bucks to throw around for sure all right i'm buying it i'm on board i'm back in all do we do we
2: all just light dubes and smoke them and listen to Chad and Jeremy and that's the rest of the episode.
0: Do we just do it the <laughs> whole second
2: progress side of the album? I'm not not into it. I'll say that.
1: Well, let's, get, I, could, um, I could throw
0: these notes away now. Let's do that. Let's talk about uh, the fire Sign theater movies. Yes yes we've've I've, I've, I've set the table. And I want to say, I noticed, and I forgot to mention this, uh, Ben, who's working our audio, on our 70 movies we saw in the 70s podcast that when Kentucky Fried Movie was initially released, it went out with Fire Sign Funnies as the short that ran before the movie. And I couldn't what quite figure it? out what that was. I, I have a lot of, like, old midnight movies ad noises, like Fire Sign Theater stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm never quite sure what it is. I, I know...
1: I, and this is one of those things that I, I read on the internet once, and then was never able to sort of like find it again. But that um, they they did a a, a movie length. Um, it's very weird. They they did a 1975 album called "Everything You Know Is Wrong," and they right. and they rather than make a new audio of it they they acted they synced their voices to the lp so the lp is playing and then the, oh. the actual performance is happening <laughs> but so they're all weird. lip-syncing the entire album which it, 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 it's a weird effect yeah. um but I, I i i remember reading that they uh packaged that plus martian space party which we watched and and, yeah. and showed them as a double feature as a midnight movie for a while i don't
0: know about fireside and funny so that's interesting yeah, so that was seventy-seven. Yeah, I mean, it was you know who knows. Mm-hmm. So all right, laid on as fireside movie theater. That's yes. the name of this episode. Yes. So do
1: you want to start with Zechariah or do you want to start with Martian Space? Well, Party?
0: just just take us through how they got into movies and what. Sure. Uh, okay. So what, well, what movies they put out? Yeah. Um, well, the,
1: the I, I I I sort of leaned us towards these three because it's it sort of gives three different sides of, you know, the the the, right. the ups and downs of the group Zechariah. Uh, it seems like they, based, they, they it was right around the time of their second album. How can you how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere right. at all? Uh, they just had, you know, some
0: some popularity at the time and uh as it But and, do you have like a list of their total movies that they've released or been associated with? Um, so like Tunnel Vision Americathon.
1: Yeah, Television's I I mean they're they're sort of associated. That's not, that, that's the problem is is what right. happened I after those it, first yeah. four albums is that the group really starts splintering a lot like they all did solo albums in the mid 70s uh proctor and bergman became this sort of unit for a while right um, so, so things like Men forever is technically a Procter and bergman production even though it's right. credited to the Firesign theater um zachariah they they didn't initially uh, you know initiate it they were sort of brought in later to punch it up a little bit so uh the way i understand it is that uh you know george england uh who had previously directed shoes of the fisherman uh you know was was taken on to direct this psychedelic, Quint. yes psychedelic rock and roll western uh that was based on uh herman hesse's Siddhartha, uh you know but re reimagined as as a head movie um and it was written by and i don't know how to pronounce his i think joe Massot, m-a-s-s-o-t do you guys know him at all
0: uh no okay so he he
1: did the most of the of the writing and i and it seems like the Firesign theater were kind of brought in to both quote de-psychedelicize but also to kind of make it funnier you know i think his was a little more earnest and a little more like you know the kids are going to make it or whatever um uh Let's see, uh, George Englund was Marlon Brando's best friend at the time, and I think it said Joe Masseau was married to Cloris Leachman, and she came along. So if you can imagine, wow. Cloris Leachman, sort of pre-people knowing who Cloris Leachman was, was just kind of hanging around. Well, this
0: around would have been around the time of the, uh, Last Picture Show. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So so right she was nominated for an Oscar for that, a so a she dent. was... Supposedly, yeah. she smoked
1: yeah. pot for the first time uh, on, on this set and, and divorced her husband soon after. She, she, good for her. Good she for you, the, She saw the true way, yeah. And yeah.
2: started hooking up with Gene Hackman. Remember that detail from her book? No. That he was the mo- Gene wow. Hackman was the most spectacular lover she'd ever experienced in her life. I've <laughs> never been able to look at him without thinking about that since then.
0: I remember uh, Ed Asner on the Gilbert Gottfried podcast saying, there were two people on the Mary Tyler Marshall that had extraordinary asses. One was was Cloris uh, Leachman. He said the greatest ass he's ever seen in his life. The other was Ted Knight. He said he had a huge giant duck ass that he couldn't <laughs> stop see staring at. And it would hold the back of his blazer up in mid. Yeah, could see that. Yeah, <laughs> amazing.
1: Okay. <laughs> why so, just, all right, so why don't we stop okay, Now we can't short. stop thinking about yeah. it. It brought no. us
0: all <laughs> the silent yeah. shock thinking about well, 10 nights of having like, contact highs <laughs> from just being around all this. Just wait, Mike, did you
2: come up with a, I did. Uh, uh, a oh, yeah. thumbs up, thumbs down?
0: I did. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Where where all what do you got? This is the only notes I've taken. Okay. 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 I have four. Oh, jeez. Wow. Here we go. Okay. Proctor and Bergman or Proctologist and man. Great. Yeah. I love that one. Porgy Tire Biter or Fudgy Meierscheider. <laughs> great. Nick Danger or Dick Aniser. <laughs> Dick Aniser? Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's great. That's fine. I like, okay. wait, I, wait, wait, I First have, one, Proctologist.
0: Okay. Yes. I think we're all bozos on this bus or I think we're all bowels on this porcelain bus.
1: <laughs> great.
2: I, I, all I had was don't crush that dwarf or don't flush that loaf. That's the only
0: one I had. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad, glad you your first off. one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm so off. glad
1: you guys had, I, I was literally writing these notes until about seven minutes ago. And then I got on the air and I was like, Fuck, I forgot to write the, <laughs> forgot to write my poop joke. I, 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 I think I, the, the, I, I barely had anything. I, 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 I love all of those. I don't know. Okay, I'll, so I'll let's go them.
0: Procter and Bergman or Proctologist and Turdman. There you and go. all of these were Procter and Bergman to me. Yes, yes, oh, for me sure. too. Yeah. And I was yeah. definitely fearing potential Proctologist and Turdman. Oh,
1: boy, me too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I hadn't seen Jamin forever in a long time, and I really was...
0: It's fucking uh, hilarious. I'm sure, but yeah. Oh, it's my God. Great. great. Yeah. But let's go. Let's do the short one first. Let's okay. do Martian Space Party. Sure, sure. Then we'll do Zachariah. Then we'll we'll... Close it out with Jamin forever. Okay,
1: so yeah, I mean, I would first of all, I'd love to, I'd love to get your impressions on on Martian Space Party because it's got such a long fraught story, and I just, wow, it, yeah, I want to hear that. It's very interesting to, I, I'd love to know, like with no context and whatever, what you guys thought of it.
0: Well, well you know, I, it was a blast from the past. It mm-hmm. was my uncle Bobby, who recently passed away, mm-hmm. uh, turned me on to the Fireside Theater by explaining to me that Porgy Tire Biter was a parody of Archie comics and then all and i was like i mean maybe 7 8 maybe and it blew my mind i mean yeah. you know even though my, my not, that's not exactly right but there's mudhead there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know and it was all part of as you said the rock and roll comedy thing that as a child i latched onto mm-hmm. in the form of uh you know national lampoon uh and saturday night live and and all that stuff and this being the most uh ultra an intellectual uh, extreme of that, mm-hmm. and still being hilarious, even though I had no idea what the fuck it was. Right. Um, I still thought it was really funny. And it was it was—it's something that happened to me later with SCTV, where as a kid, I'd watch it and I'd be like, I know this is rich and full of something and I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to laugh at, at the funny people here. Yeah, and, and then and finally, after, when I was like, I fourteen, it all kind of clicked. I got it.
1: Yeah, and then as you, as you watch it at different points in your life, you're like, oh, that's where that came from. I've been I've been reciting that line for years, but I didn't realize it was from you know that thing. There's, yeah, there's,
2: there's I I'm about. I'm uh, told I told Mike I'm reading this this book Land by oh, Rick yeah. Perlstein, which I'm obsessed with, and I love. It's and, fantastic. So it's so and being like deep in that, and it's and that book is really about the. Basically, the birth of the culture war and to see how these guys <laughs> just uh, were, were so of their moment and embodied it so well. And, and watching this, the thing that blew my mind was how well they worked as a rock band. Like yeah, you're saying, yeah. you know, I've watched that video footage of the the, the famous uh, National Lampoon Lemmings show. Right. Honestly, I mean, it's it's a cool as a curio, but it right. didn't make me laugh or it did not it did not Hold up to me as a piece of comedy, whereas this thing, the the writing and the performance level is fucking mind blowing for a yep. comedy show. It's really intense. The manic the, performance, but also with complete control and yes. mastery. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that does simultaneously. F- have moments that are it's clearly int- intensely scripted and then moments that feel improvisatory that perfectly flow in and out of it. And it rocks and you can hear that they're killing with this yeah. crowd yeah. and they're whipping this filthy hippie audience into a, a frenzy, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know,
1: like the movie yeah. is. Yeah, that, well, that's that's the thing, you know, of all, as I was writing down, like, what is it I like about this? Like, the thing I love most is just how berserk the audience sounds through the whole thing. Yeah, and it's yeah. not just that, I mean, a lot of them are, like, reciting the lines from the old albums and stuff, but they're just in the moment, you know, and there's, like, just such an incredible uh, interplay, and they're, you know, they're jumping from idea to idea, and they're f- clearly throwing on costumes at this complete manic pace, you know, and, uh, so, so,
2: and it's a live, like you're saying, it's a live recording that yeah. was this a, was this just a typical fire sign theater show?
1: What's the story? So- like... Yeah. So uh, I, I want to sort of start at risk of being self so I wrote an article about Martian space party and about the LP that that came out of it, which was called Not Insane. Um, so uh, a friend told me this story about a moment in high school that helped sort of shape his sense of humor. Uh, you know, he sat next to a guy in science class and they'd spend the whole hour cracking wise. So in the front of the room was a human skeleton hanging on a hook at the teacher's desk. And each day when they'd come in, they had this private joke where one would point and go, Hey, look, it's Red Skeleton, you know, and they just <laughs> ha, 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 every day. Hey, look, it's Red Skeleton. Ha, ha, ha. So the last day of school arrived and one of them said, you know, I'll give you $20 if you like during class jump up and point to it and say, hey, look, it's Red Skeleton. And, you know, what it, come what may. Um, so the day, the day comes and the one who agrees to do it, his palms are sweating. He's going to do it or whatever. And he jumps up and he points at it. And at that moment, he thinks of a way to punch up the joke to make it funnier. And he jumps up and he points and he goes, "Hey, look! It's red buttons." <laughs> it worked. So his friend just falls out laughing because he's been listening to the one joke for his, you know. But everyone yeah. else in the classroom is, what the fuck, you know. And yeah. Yeah. to me, that's like the, 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 like the perfect story to explain. Martian space party not insane and all the sort of stuff that happens around it at that time because you know they were working on this this material and it's it's chopped in in such a way that you're only kind of getting like the in jokes laid on top of old in jokes that you're not privy to so a lot of the stuff is just so baffling because you know you're like why are we talking about flies and spiders and you know at the caucus and why are we you know jumping from this sort of Japanese spy movie parody over to Shakespeare and things like that so Martian Space Party's origin uh they did three different radio programs not counting Radio Free Oz. there was the Fireside Theater Radio Hour Hour which was like the first thing they did together and then they did Dear Friends which came out as the double LP it's kind of like a greatest hits of that radio program and then they did a third one after the first four albums called Let's Eat and it was 12 episodes on kpfk and they were working on all these new ideas and stuff and at the end of it it was this big live celebratory blowout in the kpfk studios which is where they are uh and it's the original version is 90 minutes long like it's an hour and a half full performance uh which only is only around on this in this negative land book the the audio the dvd audio has the full 75 minutes you know there's a couple of like they cut into some like rock songs and they just fade it out and then they fade it back up. But it's, you know, the stuff that you saw is a very tiny part of this incredibly long winding, complicated, incredibly paranoid thing that they were working on. They were tossing the I Ching, they were sort of randomizing, you know, a lot of their experience and, um, you know there's the, there's references to something called radio prison a couple of times someone says you'll be sent to radio prison and radio prison you know banishes the unfortunate minds of rational thought uh you know and after four al- uh, four albums where the sort of like transition method is the changing of the tv station click 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 right the i'm not insane they start sort of working with like feathering recordings together like you're dialing between two radio stations mm-hmm. and they had this idea of this sort of like this sort of prison of radio uh, encompassing the globe and sort of like enmeshing us all and so when you hear these performances on not insane there's like sometimes two and three of them overlaid on top of each other and they'll fade into each other and fade out and it's just baffling and incomprehensible um but someone took like the the 75 minute martian space party seemed to just chop 30 minutes fairly indiscriminately out of it you know without sort of like keeping a lot of the through lines, there's a bunch of really great, sometimes even just like lines that sort of like help the thing make a little more sense, you know, but um, um, it's still wildly entertaining. And I've, I've watched it probably, you know, two dozen times over the years and I laugh. I watched it again last night just cause I, why not, you know, and it makes me laugh so every time.
0: What I have to tell you, like, well, so watching it, uh, you know, so there's, there's a video of the James gang on German TV in concert in 1972. Mm-hmm. And when I want to depress myself, I watch that, it's on YouTube. And I think, you will never be as good at anything as these guys are doing this. Yeah. And so I, I thought of that watching Martian Space Party. Yes. That they were like the you know just divinely well oiled machine each part in place, each part popping off each piston perfectly.
1: And they're doing this one thing that no one else has really even attempted, per se. Like, there's not that many people who do fireside theater-like things now. You know, there was like Duck's Breath Breath Mystery Theater and, you know, the occasional sort of like comedy, you know, comedy theater type things, but nothing of that sort of like, you know, density of illusions, you know, like making like James Joyce references next to pot humor, next to you know old flash gordon serials all right and there's the like, only person who's even come
2: close to me i was thinking watching it in terms of uh, there's some of the writing that reminded me of it the only person that's come close is the british uh, comedian writer chris morris oh god yes. who, who did the day Today oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and brass yeah and if you Eye, hear yeah. those early day-to-day radio shows like he's the only guy who had that kind of density yes. of of writing but god, yes. but it but it's and he did actually go into that kind of stream of consciousness thing with like Blue Jam and stuff. So, but but yeah, but the, nobody nobody has matched that that insane
1: but then density. How, about
0: how severely did I freak out when I put on fucking Zachariah and the James gang is in it? Uh huh. Like oh, in the uh-huh. first God, minute.
1: Yeah, Connected, yep. connects it all together, man. <laughs> yeah. everyone, everyone who was doing the best thing they've ever done were doing it all at the same <laughs> yeah. time for that one moment. And like that Shakespeare parody, like like think how hard it is to like do Shakespeare regular, like that they were able to sort of like write a simulacrum of Shakespeare and make it, like legitimately funny From line to line Like I think it's about Like putting on
0: Like you know Novelty glasses And fright wigs And stuff No like no you it's back
1: of, Everything yeah. from like Fart humor To like stuff That you would only yeah. get If you like knew The original play You know <laughs> Right right <laughs> Sure and, yeah.
2: and they're doing The thing that you And I always say Is the funniest Mike Which is They're making fun Of people about 15 or 20 years Older than them It's yeah, like right. It's the thing That's the source Of all humor Which is the equivalent right. Of a kid Imitating their parents and Right the, the thing that Cracked me up the most for whatever reason was when they were being essentially serious newscasters talking about how the president couldn't get into Monster Island and he <laughs> yes. was crying. He was oh, crying because yeah. <laughs> he couldn't get. Like the recurring thing about the president is crying again. It again just especially yeah. from reading that book. Like it is such a hilarious vomit of
0: sixties <laughs> <60s laughs> angst. It's great. Oh, you know what we have to do? Remember, Aaron? I found all those uh, Nixon, those weird Nixon movies we had never heard. Of like Millhouse and stuff. Yeah, when we yes. finish Nixon Land, we're gonna do that. We'll do oh, that. That's episode. a great. That's yeah. a great idea. Wow, I would. I would love that. Will be in the front I did feel a
2: little it. bad. I can't remember who the woman is that comes out to sing early on. I, it, I was like, God, what a '60s thing this is that she oh. comes out on stage, and the first thing you hear is "Take, Take it off." off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, the two oh God, these <laughs> the two lady singers are actually spouses of the, of the group. the 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 smaller, dark haired one was Tiny Osman, who was married to David Osman, and the oh. the, the, the brunette with the sort of brown sunglasses was Annalee Austin, who was Phil Austin's. Oh. Wife at the time. I love, um, yeah, the the Nixon line uh, I, that I just love is, you know, as you were saying, um, as we've seen here this past week, there's so much terrible noise here that has made the president cry. Also, the steam, the unforgettable smells, and of course, the unpleasant <laughs> religious overtones for an, yes! emo- for an, un- for an emotional Christian man like the president. Yeah. <laughs> that un- was great. For unpleasant religious overtones for an emotional Christian man. Even the president has been deeply affected by them. Anyone can see this by the fact that he just doesn't know what to do. With his hands, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> know, you just imagine and, someone just uh, yeah.
0: so
2: And and when and when I read in that book about the yippies and their what was basically their street comedy political theater, I mean, yeah, this it must have been thrilling for an audience to see it so done right
1: like this. Yeah. You know? and, at, and at such like so you said such velocity and such sort of yeah. Uh, um, um, there's a bunch of lines in the original that really make me laugh, and there's one that I think. Like it really, it gives you a sense of like the paranoia that they were sort of steeped in with, like you say, with like Nixon land and the prospect of. Him being reelected and all, but there's a uh, there's a like a Ma Bell phone parody where like you know a girl's breaking up with the boy on the phone, and you know he's like, wait, who's who's paying for this call? And she says, you know, whose credit card are you using? And she says George Wallace's, uh, and then Proctor <laughs> jumps in and says, yes, no matter where you are, we'll find you and plug you into somewhere where something is happening. And remember, no matter how unpleasant it is, remember you're paying for it. Yes, whether it's in the air of your car or in your bed. We might be listening to what you've said. Brought to you by Interact, the international branch of Arachnid in- Industries, which again ties back together the, the whole "stop killing spiders" thing. You know,
2: the hippie obsession with mob bell, bell. is Ma So bell. is yeah. I, yeah. I love that the the obsession.
0: Yeah. yeah. Phone phone freakers. Yeah. Yeah. And the president's analyst. Oh, where it uh, yeah. turns out Mob Bell is like the they secret were the government
1: that controls yeah. everything. Another, another great line related to Monster Island that did, somehow it's like it, it cuts off right before. I think someone found it to be a really Bogue joke but they said something like the president's most comfortable with monsters most like himself and then it goes on from there. <laughs> Godzilla, Destroyer of New York, Rubber Gone, Destroyer of Washington and True Man, Destroyer of Hiroshima. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: just wrote, ouch. <laughs> in my
1: That's
0: great. Oh, <laughs> That's a great joke. Just the, I mean, I mean, the, the use of Monster Island is the funniest fucking thing. It I've really is. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. He was denied access to the Forbidden City, and he says, "Well, that is the most popular ride on the island." <laughs> yeah. So the the, the full seventy five minute version. There's a whole side plot with um, the the father of young guy, the uh, the, the Japanese you know motor detective yeah. named Hideo Gump Senior, and he has a. There's like a whole space age bachelor pad sequence. Uh, there's this incredible four person interlocking monologue that's on Not insane. and you know I'll send you guys the link on on YouTube, but it's 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 one of the most crazy interlocking things I've ever heard where they're they're each sort of reading part of like a different absurd commercial and they're sort of like standing on top of each other. There's like a there's a whole thing about like used cars, but there's also a thing about selling demons. There's a thing about sitting on a dog. Um, Which also brings up another thing that's on YouTube. Um, Back in the 60s, the the four of them did a a bunch of commercials for Jack Poet Volkswagen in Los Angeles, which was a Volkswagen dealership. And so late night movies, suddenly the Fireside Theater would be on your screen doing these one minute absurd TV commercials in costume and in voice and doing the sort of broad Mexican voice and, you know, what have you. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, um, Martian Space Party. Love it. All right,
0: so let's go to yeah. Zachariah. Yes, 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 yes.
1: So yeah, Zachariah was like I say, it, it came out around uh what, nineteen seventy one, is that the release Z- date? Right. right, yeah. Which it is so Zachariah. now
0: El Topo was seventy? That sounds it's right, right? Yeah. 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 And, and then when and was Greaser's a, Palace? It's a
1: year or two before Greaser's Palace. I think
0: Greaser's Palace is like 60, 73 maybe? Yeah. Okay. So it's yeah. it's right in the nexus of that. So
1: Yeah, and it's and it's kind of like a, a sort of a midway point in in yeah. that regard. Like because yeah. you know, it's like the thing that I kept thinking about while watching the movie is if you scrape away all of the psychedelia and all the sort of like hippie humor, like it's a pretty solid, like western plot. Completely. <laughs> like, you could you know, like like john ford or someone could have absolutely made you know this story of like childhood friends that go out on their way to become gunfighters and you know one joins the gang and the other finds
0: himself you know
1: i mean it would have been like a you know early 60s so we should thoughtful say what Western, but, is
0: as you said yes. you know based on uh, Sinhart, uh yep. and um What's the, is the guy's name John Rubenstein, the yeah. lead actor? Yeah, son He's of, very good. Looks like Arlo of, Guthrie. Son of
1: Arthur Artur Rubenstein, the, uh, the, the, Oh. Yeah, the, the. Yeah. I told you I took no conductor. notes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found uh, that one his best I'm, buddy is, uh, Don Johnson. Very young Don Johnson, very, uh, Ruben. And this is the Don Johnson, we have to also do an episode on the wild young Don oh, Johnson. God. With, uh, oh, God, he's so good. Magic yeah. he's of Stanley's so sweetheart.
2: friggin' good in are, everything. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
0: He's um, so funny Boy dog, right. Uh cool. uh Right The Hired Experiments mm-hmm. uh, Cult of the Damned A.K.A. Angel Angel Down We Go um, Yeah we gotta do all that Anyway Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it opens with uh, Zachariah gets a box in the mail A wooden box That yep. contains like his six shooter
1: yeah, while while so, he's getting the, the the parcel in the mail, as you say, we see the James Gang sort of setting the stage. It's you know the middle of the desert, and inexplicably there's you know amplifiers and a drum kit and a and a transparent guitar, and and they're just
0: playing this heavy rock. And then you see the, the, I the mean, package arrive like beautifully mounted. Oh god! Beautifully yes. shot. The fucking music could not rock harder. Oh yeah. Yeah, that that, and, that
1: gorgeous sort of like sunrise and the sort of yeah. you know lens flare and the, the, and the amplifiers right. that
0: look like actual like you know monuments in Monument Valley there they mm-hmm. look like actual rock formations. I know
2: you're. It's, you're oh, oh, I was just gonna say it's funny, Mike. Last week we talked about the Legend of the Lone Ranger, which was yes. so terrible, <laughs> so awful, and yeah. and I was and this movie to me was so done right for yeah. the the hippie western because I said. When we watched that, I said like it should have had like the William Tell Overture, but the rock version. Like there was, and yeah. that fucking kicked in here, and I was thrilled. I was like, yeah. God, these guys really they they got it. They knew what to do, you yeah. know. Yeah, they they had fun with it, and 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 it's really and the the dialogue is really over the top hippie parody stuff. It is the anachronistic thing of people in the old west saying, "Hey, you, you know, you're bumming me out, man," and stuff like that. Yeah. Late, but so really, the join
1: off the hot horseshoe and.
2: I loved all that. It's, yeah. it, it, was it was really funny and well done. It was really great.
0: Um, and so, then Country Joe and the Fish, yep, as play the an outlaw gang called the Crackers, yep, and they fucking rock. Oh yeah, yeah. The Crackers' performance in the bar is mind blowing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, the one where they're you know they're causing the, the the diversion during the bank robbery, and you have all the all the yeah. women in petticoats you know out out on the street right. freaking away. It's I, I absolutely love that scene. And, and, it, and, it the, and the whole mind, song like, is about how like we're not we're not robbers we'd never rob anything you know. Meanwhile, the rest of their gang is robbing a
0: bank. Yeah. All right, that was great. Uh, no, but I it, I can't think of Country Joe and the Fish without thinking of uh, Howard Stern's Larry Fine at Woodstock. Have you ever heard that, Chris? No. This is like <laughs> this is like the Sergeant Pepper of Howard Stern pre-recorded bits. So it was Billy West doing a perfect Larry Fine, and it was like. <laughs> just the, they used to do these things Woodstock minutes on the rock station and it was just how Larry Fine was at Woodstock and one of the things he does is he says uh Says it's, it's like Larry Fine met Country Joe. And he goes, hey, Country, what are you going to do when you go out on stage? He goes, I don't know, Larry. He goes, mm-hmm. I got it. He snaps his fingers and goes, go out there and spell fuck. Except they, like, bleep out. The, it's like, beep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you hear the, give me an F, give me a U, give me a C. And <laughs> he goes, and don't forget the K at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that. I I'm I'm always ready for a Larry Fine impersonation. The other line mm-hmm. I always You'll call is from Feel from free to only talk to me in Larry Fine voice for the rest
0: I said, Hey Mo, let's trip. We have nothing to lose. I tie dyed my hair. <laughs>
1: That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> So uh, speaking
1: of Country Joe and uh, John Rubinstein and, and, and Don Johnson, uh, the original casting um, Bob Dylan was supposed to play Zachariah, the band was going to be the Crackers, Ginger Baker was going to be Job Kane, and Brigitte Bardot was going to be Bell Star. And oh, as John Rubinstein notes in the uh, in the bonus footage, you know they none all of those fell through, and they just started going through their B list and their C list. But right. I, honestly, can you they got to Can Z you imagine like how? <laughs> Can you imagine what a drag like Dylan would have been in that role? <laughs> it would have been so self-important, Yeah, you know? it's true. Like but Ginger I, I, you make a and point Bardot. because
0: it's like, you know, certainly you do want to see that movie. You want to be yes. in that universe. Yeah. But it, yeah, there, there's Bob something Dylan kind of agreeably not... low
1: rent about everyone. I mean, everyone's like yeah. high quality, but you know, they don't have that sort of star syndrome around them like. And also But that's what I mean, but I'm saying, but but
0: you you're very right about Bob Dylan. He would not have risen to the occasion. No. Uh, it no, seems like you would have used it as opportunity. You know, to, like play the GK. band would have been Gray, Ginger Baker, all the rest of them. And, yeah.
2: Uh, who who was the actress here who played Belle Starr? Who was uh, that?
0: her name is?
1: Oh, I've... it's Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn. Right? She played but, but... Alice in the original Alice's Restaurant movie. Yeah. Okay. But it was it's not
0: Patricia played... Quinn from uh, Rocky Horror. Rocky
1: Horror. Right. Okay. Got it. And and cast because um, the director had a crush on her. Apparently. Huh. I don't blame him. No? I loved her. She yeah. was great. Yeah. Yeah. Her I, I liked her I liked her her go-go dancing. She looked like one of those yeah. um one of those like Hawaiian things that just kind of like swivels at the Yeah, the little know? tiki doll yeah, in the yeah, back of the car. Doll. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um yeah, you you mentioned the rocking. you know, William Tell overture. But yeah, so um I don't know what what what's to say. You know, they uh, they join up with the crackers, uh the Zachariah and Matthew, which is Don Johnson's character. Um, you know, and then they start to sort of go their separate ways, I suppose, you know, uh, Matthew likes the money that they're getting. Um, oh, you know, and there's the, there's the great, um, very fire Signy. So I don't know, like, I felt like a lot of the fire signs dialogue was, was cut out. They said that they, there was a, there were a lot more subplots. There was a lot more improvisation that the the studio kind of like cut out, but you can still yeah. You you notice more
2: jokes at the beginning. It, yeah, like yeah. there's there's a, there's a flurry of jokes in the first like twenty minutes, yes. and then it really settles into a more slightly more traditional screen my favorite yeah.
1: one is when they're auditioning for the crackers and they say i'm looking for some guys who like to draw and zachariah says well i learned to draw at home in my spare time ah very I good i yes. love yes. that, that was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it's a great
2: fireside theater joke that is Here, here's here's my question for you they were la based yeah right mm-hmm. there and and so so this movie is that period where counterculture and mainstream Hollywood where it's post easy rider, where they're trying to build as much as possible, but, but how much, I mean, for, from your perspective, knowing about them historically, how much at from here did they just become more the mainstream Hollywood guys? I mean, like, mm. how much were they in the counterculture and how much were they, no, we're also doing punch-up on, you know... Because you know, I read a thing about, like, Nick Danger, them trying to get a movie to going with Chevy Chase,
1: and, yeah. like, very kind of mainstream they, projects. I mean, like, they were never, like, necessarily opposed to that kind of stuff. They did Nick Danger ads for Pizza Hut in the late 80s, you know, and we're very very happy with it. There was the whole thing like there's there's cheese. Where's the cheese go? It's in the crust, you know, and things like that. And and Phil Austin saying in the interview, like, hey, we all like to eat stuffed crust cheese pizza. Why, you know, why wouldn't I? (laughs) I I can get behind this product. Um, You know, I get the sense that Zachariah was a different movie coming in than it was going out. Like, you know, they, they note that they wrote... You know, in their style, they they wrote and then wrote over each other and rewrote over each other, and it was a very tightly scripted thing. But with the understanding that all the actors were going to improvise over it, and apparently George Englund was having none of that. He was of the opinion that like you you know actors follow the script to the letter and things like that. And he would apparently he also didn't necessarily get all of it, so he kept saying things like, you know, he would come to John Rubenstein and say like. Zachariah is leaving his father. Why is he leaving his father? We need a motivation. Why is he leaving his family? And you know, they, they shot this scene where he leaves his family like 30, 40 times. And then it's not even in the movie, but he just, he didn't right. seem to have any idea of what to do with it. There's a story that supposedly like they keep giving him more punch up and more dialogue. And he just has his,
0: pulls his cigar and he just kept going, words, words, words. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, it's interesting to me that uh, I did read that the movie was not a hit yeah and uh it has a little as much as i love it and i and i i like it a lot
1: more i watched it you know in like 2000 1999 back when um uh blast off video was big in chicago and that's the only place where you could find like rare weird things like that and i i was you know watching it through the lens of a fire sign theater fanatic and and like there's there's nothing even that i recognize of them Uh, there's a line here or there but it's a pretty straight you know western and i didn't appreciate it on that level and you know i i think that that's kind of to its benefit like i think it's a, a pretty mm-hmm. damn good western with you know it some, some yeah. solid jokes yeah. and like some beautiful imagery it, you know it's like when you compare it with something like greaser's palace like there's no yeah. way you can like turn that back into a into a western like no, that's no that's just profanity that's just blasphemy you know like <laughs> yeah
0: you know there's uh, it's unbelievable
1: i love that I, movie I, saying, well. I
0: gotta say i had never heard of it until the dvd came into the mr skin office mm. In 2004, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. I watched it and I really liked it, but I I really loved it this time. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, and no no pun
2: intended talking about it being a straight Western. I I know we uh, said we wouldn't do research, Mike, but I couldn't help but look up some reviews from the time. And a lot of them. We're focused on, like, this is a homosexual western.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, yes. You mentioned that, too. The, Phil Austin specifically said, like, we weren't writing it like that, but somehow, like, the scenes that got chosen and the way they were played, like, he's like, I've heard that it has a reputation as being this sort of, like, gay iconic gay movie, and, you know. I think it's, it's Don Johnson. Johnson's he's so too gorgeous. beautiful. He's yes. so beautiful, yeah, especially when go. he comes That's back the at same. the end
0: in the all black. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's like he's got makeup on, and he's just, he's... His hair is so blonde. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, but that was he's my question
2: but that was not their intention they weren't trying to write okay no i
1: yeah Yeah. and 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 again there were i think there were a lot more um diversions a lot more sort of like you know the, the plot kind of wended off a lot more than it did and and i think when they saw the final product they didn't really recognize the thing that they had sort of originally you know put together um, so you know, you know, there, I don't think any of them are, are particularly fond of it, but you know, they, they don't have to be, I guess. Oh man, yeah, um, yeah, I dug it. I gotta mention, um, Elvin Jones, uh, as as Joe Kane, yeah. John Coltrane's drummer from his, his classic quartet, laying down an unbelievable drum solo, <laughs> amazing and, and not half bad as, a, as an actor either. He's no, really no, he's funny, fun. really good, yeah. yeah. That, that was, and a, and a, hmm? oh, go ahead, go I ahead. I say there was that was apparently a, a fire sign theater uh, nuance when you know the guy comes in to challenge him and he and he shoots him twice, and then he takes the guy's gun and he just says shit, and then he hangs the gun up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a, a, a nice nuance that uh, apparently the, that was from the original plot. And Mike, what a great hamburger appearance by Dick Van oh, Patten. Dick Van Patten, yes, being such hamburger. a hamburger as a as a, yeah. as a Mustang dealer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again going back to ralph spoilsport from the second album yeah. the sort of like car dealer but it's interesting to hear sort of phil proctor's character who i mean he does it at just lightning speed and to hear dick Van patten do it at kind of like half speed like that is really yeah kind of interesting um yeah you know and and again i think they said they probably wrote it with the idea that he would you know improvise in the moment and stuff but again completely funny just the way it is all right, so yeah. J-Men forever. Do you know any one more? Do you guys know anything about up, the? Do you, do you know anything about the New York Rock Ensemble? That's the group that uh, is playing during the uh, during the love scene between Zachariah and Bellstar, who all take their shirts off. Yeah, who are all naked <laughs> yeah. during the love scene. I love that detail. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, if if it's to be believed, they have a, a cellist and two oboe players in the group at, at at one point. You know, so it makes me think that they sort of like. Beat ELO at their game, you know. Wow, oh. you what was the story? Because that's up. a
0: name I've definitely heard.
1: I've n- you know never, never, heard of it. Um, wow. uh, the 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 banjo and and fiddle duo is called White Lightning, uh, and apparently they appear in the beginning of the movie, but were cut out. And they sort of represent Zachariah as like tied to his home. And once he sort of meets the old man and starts living the natural life again, that the sort of like the country music comes back, and he he sort of leaves his urban ways and goes back into you know his sort of purified self. And then, um, uh, I guess that's it. Yeah. And then James gang rule. Okay.
0: Sorry. J men forever. Yes. So, uh, this is an amazing achievement. So what it is, is, uh, a series of old movie serials like captain America and zombies of the stratosphere. And, uh, Batman. Who else was in this? Shazam! Shazam! Um, the Crimson Ghost. The Crimson the Ghost. This is one where you yeah. guys are going to be able to, to to lap
1: me. I think I didn't really have a, a lot of access to these old kind of like you know because you guys were watch- I was talking yeah. about watching like movie of the week and you know, yeah yeah just, you know having all these great TV stations and you know New York and wherever and and. I don't remember seeing any of this stuff, so I'm, I'd love to hear what you guys know about the original.
2: I would always see it at, uh, did you watch uh, Matinee at the Bijou, Mike, on PBS? Always on PBS, up? yeah. Always, yeah. Always. Th- that was like, a. it was like, a. hey, let's all go to the lobby, like, we're going to show you an old black and white movie, we're going to show a serial, a cartoon, uh, yeah, would, I used to love that.
0: It was the full program that you would get at the Bijou, but not the Bijou here in Chicago, mm, right. which was the uh, world-famous gay porn theater. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole that would have been a, a different cool show too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would have been a good show too. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, so yeah, uh, and what it is is they've just took pieces of all these serials, assembled them into a, a spy movie, like a crazy. I don't know how to describe it even, but it's it, perfectly logical. It makes sense, and overdubbed a lot of it in the manner of you know what's up, Tiger Lily. Yep, but. They, they, But What's Up Tiger League is one movie yeah. with yeah. jokes dubbed over it. This is a whole shitload of shit stitched together. Mm-hmm. And it is fucking hilarious. I was really <laughs> laughing watching this like, thing.
1: It's the comedy equivalent of if you play like one of those, like those, those video games in the arcade that has the gun. It's, I, I feel like the comedy in this is just like if you were just like fi- firing wild yeah. style in yeah. every direction. Like you get like crazy headshots, but then there's just like bullets flying in every direction. Like, but the
0: names of the characters yeah. were too oh, yeah. me, too. Sleeve coat. <laughs> I like that one. Sleeve coat. But then what was Shazam called? Like the, the, the Cape Psychopath or something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. The Cape Madman.
1: Cape Madman. There was a, a um,
0: Spice Water.
2: <laughs> spice Water. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the Shazam shit was awesome with the old Shazam man and everything. was his name? It was Shaboom. Oh, Shaboom. That's right. <laughs> Shaboom.
1: Yeah. So when he when he says it, you know, it still kind of looks. Like he's saying "shaboom."
0: It's perfectly synced. The whole thing is, and then there's Procter and Bergman in original scenes that they filmed that that flawlessly match the serial footage. Yes.
2: Right, and the bad guy is trying
1: to take over the world with rock
2: music, introducing yes. degenerate. Yeah, it's rock all sort music. of during
1: the swing era, so they they blow up a, a whole a whole factory full of swing records. They they blow up Lawrence Milk. They Lawrence send Lawrence Milk. Milk's That's car flying right. over, and, and, and Prissy
2: Fay and his orchestra. Yeah, and and I got to say, a lot of the music is the group Budgie. I've yep. always loved Budgie and Budgie, Budgie rocks. Yeah. but I I will say I think this if this movie's soundtrack had been more rocking. If they could have gotten some slightly, you know, more kick ass popular bands. I think this would still be remembered today. I know it has a cult, and I know it was shown on Night Flight. And, but I mean, I, I think I think it would have been a hit, honestly. Yeah. Because it is it, it's one of the only examples of this school of what's up Tiger Lily humor that works. It I think the music if they had gotten Cheap Trick if they uh, you, I, know. you know
0: I got to agree because yeah. I, the music does just kind of sound generic when they keep yeah. going to and, the and evil it's also rock music. played a little too low like it's, it's yeah that yeah. was the other crazy background yeah. thing was like music blow it and out
1: motherfuckers heavy happening, but it's it's sort of happening under the storyline. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so if this had been Sabbath, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, if they could have gotten yeah, but I like think you it said, would have you been all the heavy
0: metal soundtrack. So you'd have uh, like, yeah. you know, Sabbath, Journey, yes. Nazareth, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
2: assume they just couldn't afford it. But, Cheap uh, trick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, Don it, it,
1: Felder. Something about the volume of it makes Sammy it sound Hagar. more like interstitial music than actual. But you know, like I I, 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 thought a lot of it was stock music until I saw it at the end, I'm like, oh, it's all mostly Budgie.
0: Me yeah. too. I, I, I was surprised that it was Budgie, and I was like, is it the same Budgie? Is it the guy yeah. from Susie and the Banshees?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yeah, and I guess unfortunately the version uh, I saw had the tubes song cut out, so they mm-hmm. did have the tubes, but, uh, but yeah. And and budgie really does kick ass, but you're right, this doesn't sound as heavy as their those first two albums of theirs that I was obsessed God,
0: with. God, I just, I did a commentary last week on a, a movie with uh Cat Ellinger where, that had a tubes theme song that was really unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so was it good? A good I one? can't say what it is yet, oh, okay. but Oh, okay, yeah.
2: okay. Was the song good?
0: The song was it was rather astounding, but you know, it All was right. the tubes uh saying we have to get a third hit. Before we go before we fade back right. into being the tour Right, right.
1: <laughs> so one one interesting anecdote around uh J Men Forever. Um it was written in nineteen seventy-eight after uh Proctor and Bergman canceled a tour, and the reason they canceled the tour uh, was that they were witnesses to something called the Golden Dragon Massacre. Uh, have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell that story. It's yeah. fucking
0: insane. So I didn't know the, yeah. Proctor
1: said, you know, we plan to go to this restaurant called the Trident after a Proctor and Bergman concert. You know, but it was 2 a.m. and the Trident was closed. So we went to a place called the Golden Dragon in Chinatown. You know, so he said they're just sitting there and he said, I'm having my second cup of soup when three guys came in and opened fired with a machine gun, a shotgun and a pistol. They killed two people right in front of us. And, uh, you know, I jumped under the table. Peter was under the table. Their friend, Dr. Bill Alexander, who like took him to the restaurant, went under the table, but he had already been shot by a ricocheting machine gun slug that entered the seam of his shoe of his boot. The seamless entry He had to push the shoe to see where the bullet went in. And it traveled up past his Achilles tendon and is still lodged behind his knee. So I, as I lay under the table, angry and somehow not at all frightened under the steel wedge of the table, hoping I wasn't going to get shot or wounded, hoping that Peter wasn't going to get shot or wounded because we had to go to the go to Boulder, Colorado the next day to perform. So later on the news report, he says, well, we had a little trouble in San Francisco at a Chinese restaurant five killed and 11 wounded, but but luckily we ordered the scared prones, and Peter ordered the duck. <laughs> now, where is that yeah.
0: from? Because I feel like I've read that.
1: Uh, that was in this I don't know. That was in this this book I have here called "Backwards into the Future." It's uh, oh, okay. it was it was yeah. done for the Fire Signs uh, fanzine, uh, Fire Zine. Um, I think did, I like, read. Did, history, was,
0: did Motor Booty do a, a whole huge thing on Fire Signs? They definitely did. You're Probably. right. Yeah, I remember that. That, that. must be they where I read did. that. Yeah, because it had you know, a hilarious <laughs> picture of the four of them like just sitting on stools, and it said. The kiss-like grandeur of a live fire sign for the theater <laughs> and yet
2: there yeah. kind of was Completely. after yeah, seeing absolutely. that much. Like yeah. I always yeah. remember that line too. Yeah. Kind of was, yeah. you know. I remember that Golden Dragon anecdote because uh, I won't say who, but just just like two or three years ago, a huge Hollywood actor called my agent out of the blue and said, "We want to do this." comedy project set in the 70s that starts with the Golden Dragon Massacre, Blah, blah, blah this whole cool. thing about a guy in Chinatown and the, the Chinese population there, and, and I want Aaron Lee to write it. I want him to come in and meet me. <laughs> and I said to my agent, he thinks I'm Chinese. He, I'm telling you. <laughs> and, and and I went into the meeting, and this guy saw me, and his face fell, and I said, you thought I was Chinese, didn't you? And he goes, no, no, I know you're, no, I wanted to meet you. Uh, come on, sit <laughs> We had this totally bullshit meeting, and then I never heard from him again, of wow. course. That, but, was your, yeah. that was like
0: Donna Chang from Seinfeld.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, but but I remember researching it, and I did hear that those guys were
0: were. So what, on. do you have any information on the release of uh, Jamin Forever? I wasn't able to find a whole lot. I mean, I think it, it was,
1: you know... The, one of the things that I kept sort of coming to over and over in my research is that they were really, really into like whatever the emerging technology was like they, they right. were ahead yeah. of the curve on so many things. And one of the, one of the weirdest was is they kept making a go for doing like a CD-ROM release of things. Everybody <laughs> tries CD-ROM. Yeah. 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 But it, it made sense when you, cause you know, they had that whole Shakespeare parody thing, anything right. you want to, and they were going to do like a parody of like an academic CD-ROM, you know, where they would have like right. the story of the Shakespeare play. And then you'd have like audio of them saying it. And then like, in, you know, in in incongruent you know pictures or whatever. But uh in 1986 they did a CD with encoded graphics so you had to play it on like a karaoke machine and it was like a parody of, of like an Infocom text yeah. adventure. Um, the, their, 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 fires, their Nick Danger movie, uh, The Case of the Missing Yokes was released on uh Michael Nesmith's Pacific Arts label and you know again right. was I think uh, sort of ahead of the curve in terms of like the VHS market. And I think J-Men might have been like an early
0: vhs title as well and well it definitely played some midnight shows it, because okay. i've seen ads for it yeah. De- definitely like in los angeles like at the new art and places okay like that. yeah
1: and you know i think it, it got caught up in that you know the the story they say about radio free Oz is what stuart shapiro always says about night flight was like we had six hours every week to fill what do we fill it with right. you know and they would find right you know, they, I mean, they would find like, you know, actual, you know, old serials and things like this. So I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Know, scrambling this with, you know, you know, with Jamin forever with like original, you know, Cap, you know, commander Cody yeah. or whatever. It's a natural match. So, you know, and I, I think it sounds like they, you know, were, would get requests to play it again and again. I think it was on night flight a lot, actually.
0: It was, yeah, because that's where I saw it. I, mm-hmm. I had not heard of it, and it you know really blew my mind as a teenager. Yeah, when did you um, guys get get Night Flight? Because I didn't have cable until we it was didn't really have. Night. I, I got uh, we got cable in my house in 1987, the same year Night Flight got canceled. Okay, yeah, canceled. yeah, right. Because yeah. I was
2: gonna I was gonna say 82 for me, it, but I would see it at my uncle's
0: 82. house if I go to my friend's house okay. in New Jersey yeah. or something. I remember seeing it, and in, I would have people tape it for me. I remember I seeing just it, it one day, like
1: over like or something like that. Right, being like, my God, Night
0: Flight. Yeah, yeah. no, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. It was insane. And it's funny because, like, uh, much like I was interviewed for a VHS collector documentary and then sat down and said, sorry, guys, I kind of hate VHS because it ruined the theatrical experience. Right. Hmm. So this guy I contacted me. He He's like, I'm doing a documentary on uh, on uh, USA Up All Night fans. Will you talk to me? And I was like, I'll talk to you. But I'll say, like, I always resented USA Up <laughs> All Night because it replaced night flight and then mm. i've heard back from mm-hmm. him so plus it, it has all
1: your favorite movies without all the the good parts, without
0: all the boobs yeah and, and shits and fucks yeah i i, I would yeah. i would
1: watch it and i you know and i mostly liked it for for gilbert and and, and ronda right. but like yeah you you know I, i'm always amazed by the sort of like cult of fanatics who are like i loved up all night it's like it's it's sort of good but you're you're yeah, it's, it's very weird.
0: What, what I've like, been told, and I guess this makes like sense, Peter. is that it would, they would use that as a guide for what to then go rent at the right. video You store, can imagine so. what was going to happen in that one spot yeah. before the horrible edit. Yeah, so... Uh really you uh, smashing anything else about Jamin?
1: Uh, just just some great lines. I love the I love the repeated use of the, the derogatory term square nuts.
0: <laughs> square nuts. Yeah. Get, get that out of here, great. square nuts. Does not somebody call somebody four ears too? Four which years. was amazing. Good four ears. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah, that was great.
0: Yeah. Really,
1: that's, that's insane. He tells those those horrible DJs, I'll pay you all the coffee and cigarettes you can drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you don't know disco from Crisco? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Let's pool our money and do a special edition with kick-ass songs. Let's yeah, do yeah, that. Let's, like, do let's replace the soundtrack with the best. We'll, we'll start with, music. Gaze yep. we'll <laughs> with Gaze in the Military. There you go. Now you're talking. We'll go to Mild Punk Band. Yeah. Mild Punk Band. Penis, Your Majesty. There you we'll go. Put that in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
0: So yeah. we should talk a little bit about Gays in the Military, Chris. Before sure. you leave, we like to do a little personal stuff. Yeah. So. uh... 2003, mm-hmm. I met a gentleman named Sir Lord Brian Puberty, mm-hmm. who said, My, 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 my band's playing at the, the, the uh, Faza Bowl, man. You should go see me, man. Mm-hmm. So I, I like this guy. And uh, I think you were there, Chris. The first night, yeah. like the night I fell in love with Sir Lord Brian Puberty, we are at Santulo's Pizzeria. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, he says, you know, man, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to my divorce, man. I'm like, I'm going to feel like a new man, a fresh start, a new me. Of course, he didn't have a girlfriend at that point, let alone was he married. It was just like one of those like perfect, uh, as we then called him, major trips. That was yeah. his nickname yeah. in the military lineup. Yeah. He's, he's, and then uh, really- so I went and um, I brought my uh, skin turn from Mr. Skin, a uh, remarkable young woman named Meg McCarvel, who uh, got an, and it and yeah, I, I published the author of some amazing stuff and um she got her internship she called me um, out of the blue she was graduating uic but she needed intern credits and she's like i'm gonna work at a porno company so she just kind of randomly found me <laughs> and uh we, yeah we took her on as a skin turn at mr skin oh i was like so do you are you interested in anything like that she's like yeah here yeah. and she sent me pictures of like this of this project she had done where she strips naked, gets on top of this naked guy, cuts off his dick and eats it. And I was like, how fast can you get down here?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you found a friend for life. So we went uh, can, can to Can you see tell your story st-
1: about, like, one of my favorite things I remember about you, when you just before you joined the band, you were saying that uh, one certain band made you hate rock and roll forever, and then that gaze in the military brought you back to rock and roll.
0: Back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Because no. I was such a huge Pussy Galore fan, and then I went and I saw this guy with like supermodels around him, like bucket his hips. I was like, I, I, I'm out. As, as I remember, is you dead. said that he was on stage going,
1: you know,
0: it's like, come on, rubber lips. Yeah,
1: and you said I'd enlisted rock music for years, and then you saw us at the Aviary, which was like this weird sort of loft, oh or whatever. And and it was a but the first
0: time I saw you was at the Fireside Bowl. Me and Meg were there. And uh, these three gentlemen came out with this, and they, these are like you know, these are guys who are not uh, built like John Spencer, let's say. And this mm-hmm. little tiny girl on the drums, and uh, they stripped down to camo speedos, and then played the most fucking insane, god awful, ugly, brilliant music I had ever heard. Yeah. Songs, so- I said, Meg. You and I are joining this band. She was like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> and that's what we did. <laughs> Song
1: titles include Beverly Hills Cock, Chocolate Stroking, When We Were the AIDS Team, and uh, yeah. Uh, all, all sort of sprung from the mind of Sir Lord. Sir Lord himself. Sir Lord right. Brian yeah, and, and, and Mike came along and really kind of kicked up, I think, the the visual aspects of the group. Like, this was at the point where we started to do more of a, like a Parliament Funkadelic thing, where each of us had kind of our own sort of persona within the group and our own yes. costume. Um, you were able to bring in uh, our ladies auxiliary.
0: That's right, the whack offs Wack-Offs, and later the man. And uh, Chris, I have to say, was the physical... And uh, visual focal point of the group. I don't think that's true. <laughs> uh, you absolutely been, were. I think all the, and I think all the naked up women and the roller skates were <laughs> the visual <laughs> centers. <laughs> well, that's mm-hmm. all that, you make a point there. Yeah. But um, no, so so you saw us, Aaron. That was the first show where it all came together. Meg was in the persona of she who cannot be uh, tamed, yep. mm-hmm. which was our little homage to the dwarves and he who cannot be named. Yeah, the lute, and, uh, the she lucha mask. Scum- yeah, then she became Scumbelina the Porn Fairy after that. and uh, But that was the night. It was this insane blizzard, and we packed the fucking Big Horse, yeah. which was like our cavern club. We played there once a month. It was this little rot hole uh, Mexican restaurant. That had a uh, performance space in the back, and they had like cocaine on tap. It was the most fucked up, insane place. Completely place was cool. Flawless.
2: Yeah, that place was cool. Yeah, it was yeah. like a little
0: like counter
2: in the front. You right? ordered, like dinner, we I recall. Yeah. You were the I, one guy I enjoyed who it. Ever got food. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very good. Armando, the owner, I remember after our first show, came up to came up to Brian and said. That was disgusting. That was horrible. That was repugnant. Please come back anytime. (laughs) Well, we did pack the fucking place in the middle of a With alcoholics. Like, we just packed it with people who, like, (laughs) drank the bar dry and acted like (laughs) lunatics the entire time. Yeah, the last show I was at, I mean, Scumbelina had, like, a whole stack of... Porno mags that she was handing out to people in videos. And I remember at the end of the night there was a a literal bonfire pile just full of ripped up porno magazines. Well, that was that was probably the show that like scared scared me. That was yeah, I, that was my last show.
0: Man. Oh, that was your last <laughs> was show. Last oh, I'm glad show, you went yeah. out in high style. Did, so yeah. we had uh, at this point we probably had like six women that were dancing for us. And then Miss Julie Fabulous was the MC. She was our Queen General. And um it was so fucking out of control. And so I would give Meg... We would get free porno DVDs and magazines. And she would just, like, physically assault the audience with them. <laughs> and then there was girls on roller skates. And we had two, like, really huge lesbians fucking on the floor with a strap on. and But it was so, like, insane. And we had... A, people were, like, overturning chairs and shit. And I got so scared. And Brian... Who is a fucking worry wart by nature Who would tell us like Don't don't use the drink tickets man And things like that He goes alright man He's like I am not impressed I am not impressed with what you motherfuckers are doing I want to see you tear this fucking place apart I was like holy shit I think he just committed a felony yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was truly like the Ziggy Stardust I was like we're going to have to break up this band Because yeah. these guys, these kids are going to kill a man Yeah uh-huh. <laughs> But uh, and then we lost Chris, and it was never the same again. Yeah, after
1: that, yeah, so. yeah. Four, four years. I mean, when you hear the records, you, you would not believe that it it took three nights a week of dedicated practice to sound like we did. But uh, it really did. It was a it was a toll. But anyway, it was it was it was so much fun and so horrifying and so life changing. And and I got yeah. to meet Mike out of it. So
0: and we're it. you know, and there's no brotherhood like when you're in a band in a band with somebody in Speedos. Exactly. (laughs) Totally. So uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. We want to say, uh, we have a a way of closing. We like to ask our guests to uh, say "crack" or get off the pot. First, say you know your name. This is and "crack" or get off, but put your own spin on "crack" or get off the pot. This is is Chris Senko for the Firesign Theater.
1: (laughs) Until next time, don't forget "crack" or get off the pot.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, one and all. So classy. Thank you. Thank awesome.
1: You. Thanks, Chris. That was awesome. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thank you so Super much. Super great. That was a, a blast, and I'm 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 beyond excited that you guys were were into it. Yeah, I'm, I, I had a I had a whole, I had a whole script set up just in case you guys were like, this was all terrible. Or like, well, you know, a lot of- no, no, I know, I know.